saying is, uh, it's true that we are both in Christ and that he is in us by his Holy Spirit. The New Testament uses both those terms to describe what it means to be a Christian. For me, I've said a few times, I tend to think about Jesus being in me by his Holy Spirit more than I think about me being in Christ. And a few months ago, I wanted to put that right, do a little bit more thinking about what it meant to be in Jesus. Um, And that's where this little series came out of. I read a couple of fantastic books on that and uh, and just was greatly helped and found found it a useful thing to be thinking about. So here's where we've been so far since Saturday. We've thought about this. In Christ, we are unshakably safe. In Christ, this was um, Sunday morning, we are immeasurably loved. Then last night at Church on the Way, we were thinking about the fact that in Christ, we are fully equipped. Tonight, we're going to think about this. In Christ, we are utterly transformed. And if you can join us for the last of these sessions tomorrow night, we're going to think about the fact that in Christ, we are united as one. We could have picked all kinds of themes, but those were the, the five that kind of most vividly jumped out at me. In Christ tonight, we're thinking about this, we're utterly transformed. I'm in a weird limbo stage in my life at the moment. I've, I'd spent 31 years in Exeter until uh, April of this year, when I moved up to Cape and Ray to start shadowing Rob, um, moved into a new house there. My wife, Penny, has not yet moved up. She's still down in Devon, in Exeter, and she's going to come up uh, in the summer when she finishes her job uh, down there. So it's this kind of strange, weird, halfway house stage I'm living in at the moment. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to this next weekend because I'm travelling back down to Exeter for the first time in six weeks just to see Penny. We've been kind of shuttling up and down. She's come up once and I'm, it's my turn to go down at the weekend. And when you go back to a community you were part of for 31 years and you're only there for two days, you need to make some decisions about who you're going to see in the two days you're back. And, um, and one woman I'm definitely going to go and see, apart from Penny, is a friend of mine called Joyce. She's called Joyce Annia. She's the oldest member of our church, Belmont Chapel. She's 103 years old. Uh, she's still living in her own house on her own. She has a little bit of care coming in twice a day. Uh, she's widowed, uh, not surprisingly 103. She has five children, 13 grandchildren, and at the last count, 27 great-grandchildren. Uh, and... Joyce, 103 years old, has been a Christian since she was 15 years old. And I find it fascinating talking to her because there's there's a a double dynamic going on in her life. Obviously, physically, she's in decline. How much longer can she have? She'll be, she's 103 this month. How, How much longer can she have? Not very long on this earth, I would think. So physically, she's in decline, doing remarkably well, still living in her own home, fantastically sharp of, of, of mind still, remarkable recall of her memory still. She's physically a little bit um, disabled now, but no, nothing too serious. But physically, of course, 103 years old, she's in decline. Spiritually, she's going in the other direction. Spiritually, after 15 years, uh, sorry, after, since the age of 15, decade after decade of being in Christ and of Christ being in her, of being somebody open to the Lord Jesus Christ, keeping in step with his spirit, uh, being transformed, as we'll think about, into his likeness. Spiritually, she's growing in the likeness of Jesus, whilst physically, she's deteriorating. And that will be the story, if we're we're in Christ, if we're Christians, that will be the story for all of us in this room, to one degree or another. We're in a moment of physical deterioration. Here's the bad news. If you're past the age of 18, 
there are more cells in your body dying than there are being renewed. <laughs> Forgive me for bringing that depressing fact to your attention, but I can see it by looking at you, you can see it by looking at me, we're all in physical decline. But spiritually, we are being utterly transformed because we're in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to think about a little bit um, this, this evening, the transformation. Uh, scripture, I think, speaks about transformation, becoming like Jesus, in three different ways. It's something that's already happened. It's something that is happening now. And it's something that will happen in the future. So as, as the scripture talks about salvation, it actually talks about spiritual transformation as well. It's something that's happened in the past. It's something that's happening now. And it's something that's going to happen in the future. So here's the past, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And by the way, the kind of Bible study we're doing uh, in Bradford Keswick this year is, is what we'd sometimes call systematic theology. We're not rooted in one passage all the time. We'd probably want to call that biblical studies, if we're being strictly accurate. That's a, obviously a fantastic way to study the Bible. It's my preferred way to study the Bible in your churches. That will be the usual way we study the Bible, verse by verse, systematic exposition. It's tremendous. We're doing something a little bit different. We're doing systematic theology, which is where you take one theme and you kind of go all over the Bible to see the theme illustrated. And that's what we're doing. So that's why there'll be different verses from different parts of Scripture popping up on the screen uh, as we think about this issue of being utterly transformed in the Lord Jesus. So we're going to jump around. But here's the first idea. Spiritual transformation is something that has already happened to us if we're in Christ. So Paul puts it like this, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the... The new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. That's already happened to each of us if we're Christians. Uh, it's already happened. The old has gone, and the new is already here. But the New Testament also talks about spiritual transformation being something that continues to happen in each of us. So here's Paul again, 2 Corinthians 3.18, a little bit earlier on. We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, uh, we who all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So Paul says this thing of transformation has already happened. It is also continuing to happen. We are being transformed into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ with ever-increasing glory. So a question that's never a bad question to ask is this. How have I experienced greater Christ-likeness in this year so far than I knew last year? If, if I thought back to the end of 2016, and we're now approaching, I guess, the middle part of 2017, in the last five, six months, how have I changed a little bit more into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, I think that's often actually... A, I personally find that a difficult question to ask. I'd much rather ask someone else to answer that question than have it asked of me. It's a hard question to answer, isn't it? But it's, it's worth exploring. It's worth thinking about. If this verse is true, which of course it is, we are being transformed into the image of Christ with ever-increasing glory through the Holy Spirit. It's happening. So attitudes in us will be softening. Uh, the knots of sin will be being unraveled. 
insecurities that we carry will be being resolved. Idols that we worship will, will be being dethroned. Those things will be happening in us. And it's just worth exploring in each of our lives, whether that's been happening, how it's been happening, to what degree it's been happening. And it might be worth you doing this. If, find someone that you know really well who's a believer. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your mum or your dad. Maybe it's a son or a daughter or a grandson or a granddaughter. Maybe it's a member of your church small group. Maybe it's your pastor. And ask them that question. How have you seen Christ emerging in me in these last few months more than he previously has? And if, if you're sitting there thinking, to be absolutely honest, I think the answer would be not at all, then that's something to be concerned about. Don't, don't you know, despair over it, but it's something to be concerned about. It may mean that we're not keeping in step with the Spirit. It may mean that we're not opening ourselves up to the, the influence and the power of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ as we are in Him and, and He is in us. But spiritual transformation is something that should be ongoing as well. Um, let me just say one, one more thing about that. Sometimes it is hard to spot spiritual growth in our own lives, isn't it? Here's, here's um, a question for you. Do you, think, do you think we spend more time or less time cleaning our houses now than we did in the 19th century? What do you think? Do you think we spend more time cleaning our houses now or less time than we did in the 19th century? Who thinks more? Put your hands up. Who thinks less? Less is the obvious answer, isn't it? Less is the really obvious answer. You'd think it would be less because now we have vacuum cleaners and now we have pledge and now we have high-tech dusters and we have all kinds of stuff which are supposed to be labour-saving devices that we didn't have uh, in the 19th century. The answer, bizarrely, according to sociologists, is actually more. So the two of you who said more, you're very discerning. Well done. We spend more time cleaning our houses, apparently, now than we did in the 19th century. And the reason I think is fascinating, or the reason they think is the case is fascinating, the reason is there's more light in our houses now than there was in the 19th century. So now we have electricity, glass technology has moved on. Instead of little windows that were really thick, that didn't let much light in, as glass technology's got better and better, windows have got bigger and clearer. So our houses are now full of light. And that means we see more dirt. And the more dirt we see, the more dirt we want to clean up. I know I'm not talking to everybody here, but uh, many of us. The more dirt we see, the more dirt we want to clean up. And I think our spiritual lives can be a bit like that, can't they? Uh, as we grow in Christ-likeness, what will happen is it's like the windows of our lives get bigger and bigger and clearer and clearer. And the light of the Lord Jesus Christ floods in. And we just see more dirt to clean up. We just become more aware of how sinful we actually are. So although we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, at the same time, we become more and more aware of how much more there is to clean. How deep sin goes. How, how deep the roots of sin actually dig into our lives. So if, if you're sitting there thinking, I don't think I'm growing at all, that may not be the case. It just might be the case that as more light floods into your life, you just see more that needs to be cleaned up. So the Bible talks about spiritual transformation as being in the, in the past, 
the old is gone, the new has come, 2 Corinthians 5.17. The Bible talks about spiritual transformation happening in the present. We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. And it also talks about spiritual transformation as something that will happen in the future. So here's Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15. Listen, he says, talking about what happens after death. I tell you a mystery. We won't all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. We will all be changed. The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishably, and we will be changed. We have been changed, we are being changed, and one day this transformation will be complete. We will see the Lord Jesus Christ face to face, and we will be like him, and that will just be fantastic. If you want some posh theological terms for this, here are the posh theological terms. Ready? Here we go. Um, I am already holy in Christ. That's what's happened in the past. Theologians will call that positional sanctification. That's really what we're talking about, being in Christ. Because we are in Christ, because we're clothed with his purity and beauty, we are already holy. We're already changed. When the Father looks on us, he sees the purity and the beauty and the radiance of the Son. That's why we can enter his presence with such confidence and such joy. We already have positional sanctification, sanctification holiness. We're positioned in Jesus. He's holy, so we're holy. And we see that in uh, Hebrews 10.10. The author says, We've already been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Positional sanctification in the past. We are being made holy by the Holy Spirit in the present. And if you want the posh word for this, the posh phrase for this, progressive sanctification. We are being made holy. It's a progression. We're going from one degree of glory to another. So in the same passage in Hebrews 10, the author has said we've been made holy, and then he puts both ideas together in chapter 10, verse 14. For by one sacrifice... He's made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So did you get that? In the the one breath, you've been made holy and you are being made holy. Uh, So we've got this incredible confidence because of what's happened in the past that we're already acceptable in God's sight and yet we have this adventure of making the inside in the strength of the Spirit more and more resembling what we already are on the outside in Christ. Our insides are catching up with with the clothing of the Lord Jesus Christ, which gives us such security in our relationship with the Father. And then we will be, forgive this, we will be holy, holy. Okay, W-H-O, double L-Y. We will be holy, completely holy when we see Jesus. And the posh phrase for that is perfected sanctification. Uh, When our holiness is made complete and when the inside and the outside fully match. We see only a reflection, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, as in a mirror right now. But then, when we see Jesus, we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, then I will know fully, even as I am fully known. Now, forgive me, I'm talking to very experienced believers. Many of you will be very familiar with these ideas. Doesn't that excite you? Isn't the gospel just glorious? So we, we have this combination of being absolutely safe and secure now, because we're in Christ And God sees us as clothed in the beauty of the Lord Jesus. But we know that our insides don't match our outsides. But God knows that too. 
So whatever the mess and the sin and the brokenness and the idolatry and the pettiness and the jealousies and the anger and the addictions that still fester around in us all, we are being made holy. We're being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've got this incredible optimism that that job one day will be complete when we see the Lord Jesus face to face. So we're works in progress, but we're also already there and we will be completed in the future. One of the most powerful testimonies I think non-Christians can see is changing Christians. So if you allow non-Christians to get close enough to you and you are walking with the Lord Jesus Christ and keeping him step with his spirit and bearing the fruit of increasing Christ-likeness in your life, non-Christians will see that. They might not mention it much to you, but they will be seeing that. And it's incredibly powerful, I think, when they do. So that's, um, that's just the introduction. Now, to just two things tonight I want to say to us. Here's thing number one. In Christ, we have the motivation to stop sinning. If, if we're thinking about transformation in terms of increasing holiness, in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the motivation to stop sinning. Uh, by being in Jesus. So let's just have a, a look at that. And again, this is Paul in Romans chapter 6, which is a key chapter for this, as many of you will know. So Paul has explained the glory of the gospel of grace in these early chapters in Romans. And then he gets to Romans 6, and he anticipates a question. And the question is, right, Paul, if I'm saved by faith in the sanctifying work of the Lord Jesus Christ, if I'm saved by faith and grace, why does it matter what I do? That's the question. So if I'm saved not by my own righteousness, if I'm saved not by my own efforts or by my own works, but by what Jesus has done for me, and if that's a completed work and that's not changing, and so I'm secure in him, why does my behavior matter? Why should I worry about transformation? Why should I worry about becoming more holy, more like the Lord Jesus? And here's Paul's answer in Romans 6, and it's, I think, a compelling answer to that question. He says this, what shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who've died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Do you you get what he's saying there? He's saying, here's why we don't go on sinning. We don't go on sinning because we are in Christ. And he's got this vivid phrase of of being in Christ. When we were baptized, we were, I think he means in the spirit, when we became Christians, and water baptism is the symbol of that. When we're baptized into Jesus, we, are, we go, come into him. And do you remember, whatever Jesus goes through, we go through. So because we're in Christ, he went through death and we went through death. Death to what? Well, we went through death to sin. Death to the sinful nature. It's been crucified. And then we, when, when he was raised from death, we were raised from death because we're in him. Where he goes, we go. So we're raised to live a new life, as he says 
at the bottom of that, of that screen. And see how he goes on. If we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Paul's point is, is this. You, ha- you are dead to sin. When, when you be- came into Christ, you came into his crucifixion and his resurrection. And when he was crucified, your sin was being crucified on the cross. And it's dead. And then you were raised to live a new life of righteousness and purity in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the answer to Paul's question, can I keep on sinning, I think is this. Why would you do that when that's not who you are anymore? You are not the kind of person who lives a life of sin and death. That person is dead. You have been raised to new life with the Lord Jesus Christ. Live the new life that you have. If we deliberately keep on sinning, All we're doing is going back to something we no longer are. We're not being true to who we are. We're not being true to our identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're alive now. We're not dead. So stop living like dead people. There was a really horrible story down in our part of the world a few years ago. Um, And we hear these stories occasionally. It was a block of flats in Bristol. This block of flats in Bristol. And the neighbours started... The neighbours of a particular flat started complaining about a nasty smell. Guess what happens next? You know these kinds of stories? And sure enough, um, the police entered the flat and they found that um, there'd been a dead body in the flat, I think for 10 years. Now, we, you sometimes, we'll see the details in a minute, it's on the screen, it might not be quite that long, but certainly for years, this, this body had been in the flat. And finally, it started smelling and the neighbours had complained. And we hear those stories tragically quite often, don't we? People who've died alone, no one's noticed. And, and the, This was different. What was different in this case was the flat that the body had been in was occupied. Somebody had been living in the flat all these years. So here's how the Mail Online reported it. Man, yeah, it was 10 years. Man lived in-house with dead body on sofa for 10 years. Uh, let me read that. You probably can't see this. The tenant in the Bristol flat where a decomposed body was found told neighbours he forgot the corpse was there. Alan Derrick, who's aged in his late 60s, is said to have offered the dead man a place to sleep on his sofa a decade ago, but the man died after a drinking session. Alan told his neighbours that he was too scared to inform the council in case they punished him for having a lodger. So here's the story. This guy had mild learning disabilities, and he was in a council flat, and one of, one of the conditions of being in the flat was that he couldn't subcontract. He couldn't have a, a tenant. It was just his flat. And if he broke that rule, he feared he might get evicted. He'd been in the pub one night, met a homeless guy, out of kindness had brought the homeless guy back to his flat, allowed him to sleep on his sofa that night, and during the night the homeless guy died. And um, Alan Derrick, who had mild learning disabilities, panicked, just didn't know what to do, rolled the body in a bit of carpet and put it behind this sofa and, and forgot about it. And it was, it was there for 10 years. It, which is a, it's a tragic story, isn't it? 
and, and finally it was resolved. And I don't think he was prosecuted. And, and it was just one of those tragedies. When I read that, something just went ping in my head. And I thought to myself, you know what? I do that. I do that. I live with death. Can you imagine how disgusting it must be to have a dead body in your flat, your house? Everyone in the flat is alive, and then there's this this bit of rotting death that's sitting in your room. And yet I think lots of us as Christians actually do that spiritually. We are alive, but we tolerate death in our lives as we continue just to live with a sin that we don't need to keep living with. Sin that that we can increasingly and progressively unearth. Sin that we can just start with the power of the Holy Spirit to see transformed and and renewed. So we we can put death behind us and we can live the life we were meant to live. I've been in email correspondence recently with a guy who's the son of a man whose funeral I took. And, and uh, this son is a Christian, but um, the more I, I exchange email correspondence with him, the more I see just how troubled he is. His emails are full of anger and bitterness towards his dad, towards his mum, towards his stepmum. He, he's got grudges uh, against churches he was part of 30 years ago. And this guy is a believer, but there is, there is just so much bitterness, so much anger, so much grot, so much unresolved sin just churning around in his soul that he just cannot make progress. And in our email correspondence, I'm just, just seeing if we can gently, in the, in the, hopefully with the, as he opens his life to the lovely transforming gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ again, some of that will, will start to just be flushed away. And he can start to live. But I think I'm like that in lots of ways. I'm like that. The stuff I'm living with that I just don't need to live with. That Jesus would long to, to see transformed and moved. A few years ago, um, Radio 4 uh, did a, a little article about the, the shortest novel ever written. So the shortest novel ever written was written by Ernest Hemingway. He claimed to have written the shortest novel ever. It was a bet with a friend. Ernest, how short can you make one of your novels? And he said, I can write a novel in six words. And here's what he wrote. For sale, baby shoes, never worn. He says, there's a story in six words. And Radio 4, for some reason, the Today program had mentioned this. And they made it a competition. Some of you might remember this. If you listen to the Radio 4 Today program, they said, "Can, can can listeners of the Radio 4 show, can you do the same? Could you write a novel in six words? And here were some of the entrants from Radio 4 listeners to this novel in six words competition. Okay? Scared to live, scared to die. Lifetime partner, love, laughs, what now? Any chance I could start again? Worry about tomorrow, rarely enjoy today. Night on white charger, never showed. Born London, lived elsewhere, died inside. <laughs> Cheerful stories, aren't they? Uh, I just tried to go through those and just, and just, those are some of the top entries in this Radio 4 competition. Your, your life story in six words. And, uh, and they were this, tragedy, 
Fear, bereavement, regret, anxiety, idolatry, despair. Those were those stories we just heard, including Hemingway's tragedy, baby shoes never worn, fear, uh, fearful of today, fearful of tomorrow, bereavement, regret, can I start again, anxiety, idolatry, despair. Now, sin is disgusting, isn't it? Do you remember when Jesus stands at the grave of Lazarus and, uh, and his, his response to sin and death? Do you remember what Jesus does? In our English translations, it says, Jesus was deeply moved, is the normal translation in English. And in the Greek, the word that's used is ba- basically means he reared up in the way a horse rears up in disgust. He just, Jesus snorted with disgust when he saw death, the result of, of sin. And Jesus is disgusted by sin. He's just disgusted by it. And he longs to liberate us from the impact of sin in our lives. And we are being transformed. And because we're in Christ, we've gone through death and resurrection. We are a resurrection people. So a resurrection people should be those who are increasingly impatient and share that disgust with the remnants of sin in our lives. And like my friend Joyce, are day by day and week by week and year by year, walking towards greater Christ-likeness, just greater liberation from tragedy and from fear and from bereavement and from regret and anxiety and idolatry and despair. And the joy that we have in that will be one of the things that marks us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in Christ, we are utterly transformed and we have the motivation to stop sinning. Sin is no longer who we are. Because we are living a resurrection life with the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know in my life, and you know in your life, that this is easier said than done. And one of the things that that I love in my life is relationships with believers that have a level of honesty where we can be confessing sin to one another and calling one another on the sin in our lives and pushing us towards who we are in Christ so if, if you're in an accountability partnership or a prayer triplet or if you have a home group that is operating well enough to be actually honest with one another, if you've, if you've got a Christian friend who really knows the areas of pain and distress and struggle and sin in your lives, you are a blessed person. Cherish those relationships. And if you don't have that in your life, pursue it. Find it. Find it. Ask the Lord for it and find it. One of the challenges as, as I've moved house is that I've moved from 300 miles north is that I've moved away from those relationships that I had previously and I've got to establish, find and establish those kinds of close, accountable relationships. Brothers who know, really know who I am, really know my deepest, ugliest parts and will walk with me and pray with me as I see the Lord Jesus Christ transformed. So in Christ we have the motivation to stop sinning. Uh, Eugene, um, sorry, let's just do this. Yeah, so um, here's, here's Paul again, 1 Corinthians 6. Don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it said the two will become one flesh. But whoever's united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. Here's, here's one more reason why being in Christ is such a great motivation for spiritual transformation. Such a great motivation to stop sinning. 
One is, we're in Christ, so we've been through death to sin, and we're now living a resurrection life. So reflect that in the way we're walking away from sin, little by little, gradually. But here's the second one, and it's a really vivid image. So make sure I've got this right. Is Paul really saying this? Because it's breathtaking what he says. He says this, your bodies are members of Christ himself, yeah? You're in Christ, he's the head, and we're, we're the limbs of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're his body. So he says to Corinthians, if you go and have sex with a temple prostitute, it's like you are making the body of Jesus have sex with a prostitute. Isn't that a shocking image? That's what he's saying, isn't it? You're in Christ, you're part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you then go and have sex with a temple prostitute, it's like you are making the body of Jesus have sex with that, that person, that man or that woman. And Paul says, what, what, are you going to do that, really? You're in Christ. How, how could you do that to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ? And personally, I find that, that idea of the who I really am is I'm in Christ, I'm part of his body. I find that a huge motivating factor when I'm tempted to sin, to not sin. So as many of us will be, if I'm tempted to visit the wrong kind of websites which I suspect for many of us is the equivalent to visiting a temple prostitute. You know, we, we have all kinds of opportunities for adultery of the mind in this current day and age, the technology we have. Uh, one, of the, one of the great motivating factors to stop me doing that, one of the great motivating factors in, in the fight against pornography in my life has been, I can't do that to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that's not who I am anymore. How could I do that to Jesus? I am in him. And it it might be that that's a helpful idea for some of us as well. Here's one of the most helpful things I've ever read on holiness, sanctification. It's by the brilliant Jim Packer, who I think is still alive. He'll be a very old man now. Last I heard, he was emeritus professor at Regent College in Vancouver. And he wrote a fantastic book a few years ago called Keeping Step with the Spirit. I think he wrote it in the 70s. Never been out of print. And he says this, For better or worse, sex has become an electric word. By that I mean it compels attention, jars us awake, grabs scanning eyes and casual ears, carries an emotional charge, makes an emotional impact on us. Why is this? Because sex is a theme of endless interest to normal adults. Brackets. You found yourself reading this paragraph with more than usual alertness. Did you not? That's just what I mean. And then he goes on to say this. For healthy Christians, holiness... Transformation into the likeness of Jesus. Holiness is a similarly electric word. Why? Because God has planted a passion for holiness deep in every born-again heart. Holiness, which means being near God, like God, given to God, pleasing God, is something believers want more than anything else in this world. And one reason for their interest in the Holy Spirit is their awareness that making us holy is one of his main tasks. It's natural and normal for believers to want to understand and prove the Spirit's sanctifying power. Any believer who was apathetic about seeking sanctity would be very much out of sorts. I believe you, me, I'm preaching to myself more than anyone else this evening. But can I just recap so far? We are in Christ. That means we have been through death to sin and resurrected to new life with him. If we keep on sinning, That's not who we are anymore. We don't have to keep on living with death in the flat. And if we do do that, 
we are effectively joining Jesus, because we're in him, joining Jesus in the acts that we do. And that's disgusting, Paul says. And let's not do it. And personally, I find those two great motivations for sin. Uh, We're not going to be free of this until we see him face to face. But the normal Christian life should be an increasing transformation into Christ-likeness. And let's partner one another as we do that. Um, let's, let's think about one more thing before we finish. And uh, we're running a little bit late. So here's the second thing I want to say, and we're going to finish with this. In Jesus, we have the resources to stop sinning. We don't have the motivation to stop sinning. In Christ, we have the resources to stop sinning. Um, in Galatians 3, Paul says this to the Galatians. He's pretty hard on the Galatians, isn't he? They're, they're distressing him with good reason. And he says this, Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? So he says, uh, by Spirit, I think in Galatians, when he talks about the Spirit in this, these terms, we could replace that phrase with grace or gospel. It's the gospel that the Spirit has brought to them. The gospel of grace he's referring to as he talks about the Spirit here. Are you so foolish? So after beginning by means of the Spirit, after beginning by means of the gospel, after beginning by means of grace, after starting your spiritual life by knowing that it was the death of Jesus that saved you, are you trying to finish your spiritual life by means of the flesh? And just a little bit of Greek. The word finish there is epitelio, and it means... Are you trying to complete yourself, make yourself acceptable by means of the flesh, by the stuff you can do? You started your spiritual life going, Jesus, save me. You're continuing your spiritual life by saying, now I'm going to start saving myself. Every day, this happens to you and me. Hopefully not physically, but every day we get dented. Have you been dented today? Uh, I had an email today that dented me. You know, it was an email that said, uh, um, slightly disappointed that you did this and not this. Slightly disappointed that you hadn't got in touch with me to tell me you were doing it. Um, Just slightly disappointed in you. And it's like someone drove into the side of me. Bam! And someone just dents your back door. And the question is, how do you get the dent out? Might be all kinds of dents that we've, we've had around the room this morning might be self-inflicted dents that we've had. There'll be things that have wounded us or we've wounded ourselves, disappointed ourselves, fallen short. We'll all have been dented today in one way or another. And the question is, what do we do? The great dent of sin, we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation to get the dent out. And Paul's question to Galatians is, in the little dents that keep happening in your life, who are you turning to? Are you going to keep turning to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you going to actually try and do this for yourself? Who's going to complete you? You or the Lord Jesus? Uh, Tim Keller, on his commentary on Galatians, um, comments like this on this passage. He says it much better than I could. So let me just read what he says to you. He says, It's common for believers to begin their Christian lives by looking beyond themselves at Christ clearly crucified. Galatians 3.1 relying on God's promise that God has taken our curse and given us his blessing. But as we go on, it's tempting and easy to look within ourselves at our own human effort, resting in our own performance to give us our sense of acceptability before God. Doing this makes us radically insecure, 
It cuts away our assurance and it prompts us to despair and pride. So the thing that I was called on today in this email was a true thing. The guy writing it was absolutely right. I had got something wrong. Now, the question is, what do I do with that? Do I, and I guess there are various paths, aren't there? I could, I could try and fix myself. I might turn in despair and go, oh, I'm so rubbish. Am I never going to get this right? Or I could respond in anger. And I could, I could hit back and go, well, it wasn't actually my fault. It was your fault for some reason. And just create something. Or I could make excuses, couldn't I? It, actually, I know I got this wrong, but, but, but there, were, there were three reasons why I couldn't do the right thing. And all of those, I think, would be me trying to bang the dent out myself. Or I could allow Jesus to carry on the work of completion. I could confess sin to him and to the brother that I'd sinned against and just go, hands up, got it wrong. I'm so sorry. I'm just so sorry. Got it wrong. Fell short. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that I am forgiven in you. Thank you that my status is in that and not in my performance. So I don't turn into despair and self-loathing. I don't turn outwards to bitterness and anger and defensiveness. I, I allow the gospel of grace to continue the work of transformation in me. And the Galatians had stopped doing that. And you know, one of the reasons I think as churches we struggle a lot is actually because we start to do what the Galatians were doing. We start to try to fix ourselves rather than allow the gospel of grace to continue its incredible work of transformation. And when we do that, we start to turn against ourselves and we start to turn against one another. And let's not do it. In Christ, in the gospel, we have the resources to be utterly transformed. Not just the motivation, but the resources for transformation. And when we stop applying the gospel of grace to our everyday struggles and our everyday relationships, things just start to go sour. Don't worry about that. The sin under all sins, says Keller, is the rejection of grace. The heart that rejects Jesus' grace and works for its own goodness, its own self-protection, and its own self-salvation. And that tendency, as it was with the Galatians, can start to creep into any Christian's life. Let's not do it. We have the resource for transformation in the incredible gospel of the Lord Jesus. And it's tragic. Galatians is tragic, isn't it? When the Galatians had stopped trusting the gospel for their transformation and they started trusting something else, everything started to fall to pieces. So they, they had loved Paul so generously and suddenly Paul was somebody to compete with. Somebody, suddenly Paul was somebody who was disagreeing with the teacher's who'd been telling them they had to be circumcised or they had to keep the food laws or they had to keep the Sabbath precisely. And, and suddenly Paul was a problem person. And the relationship had soured once they'd stopped living the gospel. So Galatians 4, even though my illness was a trial to you, Paul says, you didn't treat me with contempt or scorn. This was in the past. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? When the Galatians were living in the freedom of the gospel, they would have done anything for Paul. But now they were living in competition and guilt and duty. They, they were starting to close ranks and shut him out. And it just breaks his heart. We have... 
two great things about being transformed into the likeness of the Lord Jesus by being in him. One is we have the motivation to be transformed. Uh, Sin is no longer who we are. We've been through it, we've died to it, and we're alive in him. Uh, if If we keep sinning, we're doing something hideous and blasphemous to Jesus himself because we're in him. So let's stop doing it. And the second thing is we just have the great motivation, we have the great resources to be transformed. The gospel of grace is our great enabler for the changes that come upon us. So can I just ask you to do this as we finish this evening? Let's, let's, just, let's just close our eyes for a moment. And can we ask ourselves this question honestly? Let's search our hearts. Is, is there an area in which we're just uh, aware that we are continuing to sin? Just hold it in your mind for a moment. Is there an area where you're just longing to change? And let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the great gospel of grace. Thank you that these things we are holding in our minds are already forgiven at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that you look on us with the beauty and the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. Thank you that we're utterly safe to come and talk to you now despite the things we're bearing in mind. But Father, thank you too that uh, you've, you've given us the motivation and the resource to be transformed into ever-increasing glory. Thank you that because we're in the Lord Jesus Christ and because his spirit is in us, we've got both the motivation and the resources to change. And we pray that we would be throwing ourselves upon your mercy and your power to see greater and greater growth. Thank you, Father, that we know this will one day be absolutely completed when we see Jesus face to face. But we just want to see such progress now. Father, we want to see progress now. And where we've despaired of ever seeing change, we pray that you'd liberate us from that lie. We pray you'd give us Christian friends that can help us on this journey. And we pray, Father, that as you do your incredible work of transforming us into greater and greater glory in the likeness of Jesus, others would see and they would marvel as they see Christ increasingly clearly in us. Help us, we pray, in his precious name. Amen. Thank you, everybody, for your patience and your lovely listening. At least you've looked like you're listening, and I really value that. Uh, If anyone would like to talk to me about anything we've talked about this evening, please, of course, feel free to do that. I'll be down the front at the end. Phil, thank you.